Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Well, it's one of those weekends where uh, I would benefit if there was, uh, I could be three people at once uh, everywhere because it's just a lot going on. But it's all really amazing things. Began yesterday morning at 10 a.m. I went to the Cathedral of St. John the Evangelist and I saw Bishop Molesic ordain six men to the priesthood. And so with that comes a whole slew of receptions and first masses throughout the weekend. So uh, this is my second mass of the day and I have two more first masses and receptions to go to in addition to a few last night. But one of the guys who was ordained is Father Jeff Liptak, and that's important for all of you because he's your new priest beginning in June. He will join me and the pastoral staff here uh, in serving all of you, bringing you the truth and love of God. Father Jeff Liptak grew up in independence and actually graduated from St. Michael's School. So he's a graduate of our own school. From there, he went to Independence High School, and his senior year, he was the captain of the football team and the prom king, right? So, uh, how about that? Uh, only the best for us at St. Basil's. You know, that's... So from there, he, uh, his family then moved to the Parma Parma Heights area, and he went to Walsh University down in, down in Canton. He became a nurse and was a nurse for several years, and was as a young adult was going to St. Charles Borromeo in Parma. And out of that parish is when he started feeling the call and the tug interiorly to consider the priesthood. So he went into the seminary. His first year in the seminary was my last year in the seminary. So I was a deacon when it was his first year. I got ordained that spring as a priest and sent to St. Charles Borromeo in Parma. Right? So it's like Kevin Bacon, six degrees of separation thing. Right? So I went there, and so I got to know him for a while. So it's been really good to know him. And yesterday, he was ordained a priest. I haven't heard him preach, but I've heard really good things. They said he's a really good preacher, so it's good news for all of you. I know he's someone who very much likes helping people overcome struggles, so I think he's going to be very good in the confessional. And um, he looks like a linebacker, but he has a very tender heart. So it's a nice combination, all right? Very nice combination. Yesterday, I'm at his reception, and what I've noticed about Father Jeff is he was very intentional about calling me Father Ryan. Now, Priests and seminarians have kind of a unique relationship because I once was a seminarian and they're praying and hoping to one day be a priest. So there's kind of like an unspoken kind of brotherhood type of thing. And the further you get in the program, the more familiarity increases. And so by the time a guy is ordained a deacon, the year before he's a priest, a lot of times they'll call priests that they know really well by their first name at that point. It's no longer disrespectful, it's you're basically here, you're in, we've been friends for years. But I've noticed Father Jeff this whole year was very intentional about calling me Father Ryan. I didn't even know he was coming here till last month. But still, Father Ryan. So, okay, that's great, very honoring, very kind. Even text messages, Father Ryan. So yesterday I'm at the reception and he walks in and his family hugs and kisses him. Kids are celebrating, a bunch of his Friends and family are lined up to greet him, say congratulations, I'm in the line. I go up to him, and with his big smile on his face, he goes, I can finally call you Ryan. (laughs) 
And it was so beautiful because you could tell this was something growing inside his own heart, that he was looking forward to this being one of the great litmus tests of being ordained a priest, but also just the thoughtfulness behind that. It was just one of those moments that if life was a book, it all of a sudden turned into a pop-up book. One of those experiences that had a lot of meaning to it and touched me. My question is, what do you do with those experiences? Are they just nice and you move on? Are you like, well, I know they mean something, but I have no idea what they mean, which is the equivalent to just moving on? Do really beautiful and great moments in your life cause you when they're ending to become angry or upset or annoyed? Or do you just go, well, that's life, out of a sense of bitterness? What do you do with really moments of goodness and beauty? What do they tell you about yourself? What do they have to do with Jesus and God and the church? Or are they nothing? Because the truth is, is that time is rather mean in this regard. Because great moments, whether it's with your family, right, on a vacation, a great meal, the beautiful weather we had the last few weeks off and on here in Cleveland, a great book, a good movie, like all these things end. Time has a way of being like, all right, next up. So what do we do with them? Because our hearts, when we experience them, say, this is it. I love this. This is why I'm alive. I don't want this to end. And then it does every single time. But we also have really tough moments. Job loss, death, people misunderstanding us, people accusing us, people mad at us, our own sins and guilt. And in that regard, we're happy time moves on so we can keep moving on and growing. How do we put this all together? Because we need to, because this is life. We're living it. I don't know if you noticed that. Life is still being lived while we don't know what these mean. What we see and it's become the Catholic worldview called the sacramental worldview. All that means is what we've learned from Jesus as a church is that these experiences that are beautiful and good, they're not meaningless. They're signs. They're pointing us to the kind of life that the Lord wants to give us. They're giving us a little appetizer to a banquet that awaits us. There's a reason why we come alive and we love these moments so much. There's also a reason why we hate these moments so much and they're so painful. In the ascension, which we celebrate today, what we see is that Jesus takes your humanity and mine and he takes it into the very life of God. He brings it all the way up there so authentic human experiences now have an echo, are now brought back to the source, God. They're brought to heaven. But I don't know if you knew this, heaven has had a really bad PR marketing firm for a long time. Heaven has been hijacked by Hallmark and it's angels and harps. And harps are nice at times, I suppose. But no one wants to sacrifice and do the effort necessary to become holy in this life, to be in the next life, if it's all for angels and harps. See, if we don't know what heaven is actually like, it's going to be really hard to pick up our crosses and follow Jesus. Because the only way to get to heaven is to suffer and die to everything that is evil and wrong in this world so that we can live a life of beauty and holiness, imitating Jesus, so we can be with him in the next. 
But if we don't actually want to be there, we're stuck. So what's heaven like? Pope Benedict XVI said, heaven is like the supreme moment of satisfaction. It's not just that things don't end, so a beautiful sunrise doesn't end. It's not just that it doesn't end. It's that heaven fulfills us in a way we could never imagine. Here's a really kind of mediocre example, but I think it can help. You know, on a hot day, you may open like a can of Coke and drink it, and you go, ah. Something like that is in heaven. The infinite, ah. In fact, the church uses words like ecstasy, beauty, ineffable joy, endless bliss. The most intensely enjoyable, fulfilling, satisfying experience on earth is like a breadcrumb compared to what heaven's going to be like. There is a little bit of overlap. They're both food. The one gives us a little indicator of what's coming, but it is infinitely better. There's a story about St. Francis of Assisi. Now, it's a legend, so we don't know how this actually played out, but it gets at an important truth. St. Francis of Assisi loved to sing and loved to dance. And he loved to entertain and kind of an extroverted, kind of life of the party kind of guy. And one day he's praying and he says, God, I love music and I know all these beautiful songs. I want to hear the song of heaven. I want to hear the song that the angels sing and the saints are singing. I want to hear it. Please let me hear it. God said to him, you can't handle it. It's too beautiful. He said, oh, please, please, I know I can. I'm going to love it so much. Please tell me what it's like. And so there's eight levels of angels, okay? So the lowest angel, God chose one angel from the lowest ranks to play one note of the song of heaven. And St. Francis was in a coma for a week. It was too much beauty. Humanity couldn't handle one note of the song of heaven. St. Teresa of Avila said, we need great courage to endure the sufferings of life, but we need even more courage to endure the ecstasy of God. Now, if I want to know about basketball, I'll listen to people like LeBron James. Right? If I want to know about anything else, like if I want to know about great classical music, I'll talk to people in the Cleveland Orchestra. If you want to know about God and humanity, the heart and fulfillment, we got to listen to the saints. And the saints and Jesus are very clear that what God wants to give us is mind-blowingly ecstasy, joy, fulfillment, peace, happiness, more than we could ever imagine. But we do get little, little glimpses when someone's like Father Jeff said, Ryan. Or moments in your life that make you come alive. Here's the challenge. The only way to share in that joy is to suffer and die. That's why it's hard to market this, you know? <laughs> but it's impossible to suffer and die for harps and angels. It might be possible to endure sacrificing your favorite sin or giving up the thing in your life that makes you numb out so you're not attentive to God. It may be possible to surrender that and give that over to God if what awaits you is not a desert but a paradise.
If what awaits you isn't a dirge, but a symphony. If what awaits you isn't a half-eaten bologna sandwich, but a banquet. If that what awaits you, being hungry is worth it. C.S. Lewis one time said to the Christians, he's a famous Christian writer in the early 20th century, he said, our problem is not that our desires are too big, it's that they're too small. What Jesus on Ascension Sunday shows us is that your humanity and mine, united to him through a life of sincere holiness and growing in that, will be taken to the ineffable joy of the Trinity. You will find fulfillment that you will never find here. Happily ever after is true, just the location is different than you and I were told. We thought it was going to be here. And we're told, oh, we're still living the story here. So one final thing to show you. Can I have the Roman Missal? So what does Mass have to do with all of this? Well, the infinite realities that our hearts are actually seeking becomes the body, blood, soul, and divinity. The infinite one himself becomes the Eucharist. And after we receive the Eucharist at every Mass, we offer a prayer afterwards. It's called the prayer after communion. Right? And you and I might not always understand it, Right? But the prayer after communion, if we were to write our own, we'd say something like this normally. Think of this. The infinite one has just flooded your humanity. And this is how we normally pray. God, if you just give me a little more patience, help me not to be as upset. I.e., I'll take care of the rest. I got this. That's how we would write the prayer. Listen how 2,000 years of wisdom with the power of God, the good news of Jesus, and the grace of the Holy Spirit working. Listen how the church prays. May the gifts we have received from your altar, that's to say the Eucharist, flooding our lives, kindle in our hearts a longing for the heavenly homeland. The church asks us to pray to God that we become on fire that we would be alive with such longings that our very longings would take us to heaven. That our desires for what is infinite wouldn't make us turn our back on creation, but we'd be able to see and hear in every bump and nook and cranny of our experience the call to prayer. You think this moment is great. Don't you want it to last? Yeah. Don't you want even more? I do. Well, then crack open that place and let it turn into prayer Turn into saying, Lord, make me holy so I can taste this kind of experience forever and in even greater realities. That's what Mass does for us. Gives us the taste of eternity already now in the Eucharist. So we realize what our hearts are looking for are not naive or irrational, but they're prophetic. And if we follow Jesus in dying to what is not in congruence with him, we will rise one day to be happily ever after. Amen.